right? This is not business as usual. Um, yep. This is not, you. we're not in great bargaining positions right now, right? Um, but there are certain basic terms and conditions of employment that I think need to be maintained. And I think that if an employer is genuinely experiencing economic loss and hardship, this is not, in my view, not forecasted loss. Okay, if they are genuinely experiencing loss now, then I think that it is reasonable that they come to you and try to negotiate arrangements with you because quite frankly, retaining your job right now should be right at the top of your um, uh, you know, list of important things to do. Hey guys, hope you're doing really well. Welcome to another really interesting conversation that we had this week. I sat down with Carly Stebbing, who's a really good friend of mine, and she's a employment specialist. She's a lawyer. She's been on both sides of the negotiating table when it comes to issues arising between employers and employees. And I thought, This is really interesting and this is really important because at the moment there's a lot of uncertainty around jobs, around employment. Um, People are anxious around their jobs and what the future holds for them. And I think it's also important for people to know what their rights are. So as a founder and as a business owner, um, my partner and I make sure that we do everything to the best of our ability. We put our team first and foremost, and we're all about protecting everyone's rights and creating the best work environment. However, there are some employers out there that for whatever reason, whether business is really tough, things have slipped through the cracks, aren't necessarily doing the right thing. And I think um, for those that are working and those that are employees and those that are earning salaries, it's important to know that they have rights, their rights are protected by the law, And Carly does a great job in this call summarizing how to protect those rights. Now, this is in the form of a call. Uh, We jumped on and we literally had it together. So at some points, the audio does drop out. There's a little bit of wind at some points. But overall, the content is fantastic. I'm sure that you can gain a lot of knowledge from this. And please share it with someone that you think will find it useful. Carly, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Uh, for, those, uh, for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into it. Okay, so my name is Carly Stebbing, and I'm the founder and principal of Resolution One Two Three. We're an online employment law firm for employees. So we're a virtual practice, and we make employment law quick, simple, and affordable for the average Australian. Um, I, uh, I've been an employment lawyer for 15 years this year. I've only ever practiced in this area and primarily I actually acted for employers or respondents. Um, and I did that for most of my working life until I became a mum and identified that there was this real need out there for the average Australian to be able to access all legal services, certainly employment law services at affordable prices. So, I created an application to help people identify if they have claims and thought I'll just throw it out there and see what the take up is like. And, you know, it's gone really well and grown from there. So the firm's been around for two years and we now have have a team of five and um, are becoming sort of the go-to legal practice for employees, especially in the current circumstances. 
That's awesome because I remember catching up with you when you were starting the business and I thought it was such a great idea um, because, you know, for a lot of people, their employment is their primary source of income. It determines their livelihood. Um, and when that relationship breaks down with their employer, they don't really have someone to turn to, uh, particularly someone professional that can help re represent their rights. So um, congratulations on building the business. I think it's absolutely amazing. And it's a great service uh, for people to use. How did you get into it? How, how on earth did you end up here? Uh, so what actually happened was after a long time of practicing in um, in employment law and for employers, we, it's not like we sort of set out in a lot of the firms that I was at. It wasn't that we would not act for an employee. Um, but what would happen is employees would contact us and then quickly learn that at traditional law firm rates, they couldn't afford to engage us um, and or it just wasn't, you know, whatever claim they had, the any monetary outcome we might have been able to achieve would have been gobbled up quickly in the fees that we would have provided. So I was aware of that, you know, I was aware of that throughout my period of practice. And I also was aware of the fact that a lot of the initial questions that an individual has, an employee has when things start to go sour at work um, are simply around this, you know, the, the first question is like, do you think I have a claim? And a lot of people are concerned about asking a lawyer just that question because they know the clock goes on straight away normally. And um, they initially just need a bit of empowerment to understand, you know, hang on, you know, I'm right, you know, I'm, I'm onto something here, something's wrong. And so I identified that really the types of questions that we would ask in a first consult um, for an individual were repeated. And, you know, I was going through in my mind a series of questions, the person would be telling me their story, and I'm sort of going through this yes, no, yes, no, yes, no scenario in my mind that would lead to the type of claim that the person might have. And so I was like, well, surely there could be an app for that. And I entered a hackathon weekend with my eight week old baby at the time. Um, that was for women in tech. And it was if you had an idea for an app, you gave it a burl. And, um, and so I got there and I pitched the idea that there should be an app that helps people identify this first question. And we went through the weekend and we worked with app developers and, um, and we won the um, comp. And it was actually another two years, I think, before I decided to actually go and set up resolution one, two, three in response. I sort of watched the market for a little while. And in 2017, I think the Law Society handed down what they call the future of law and innovation in the profession. And they identified that there's this missing middle in the market of what I describe as just the average Australian. Okay, so the people that they don't qualify for legal aid or community legal centre support, they're not a union member anymore. Yeah. Most Australians aren't. Um, they're earning in excess of about $65,000, um, but less than $150,000, which is sort of the threshold you need to be earning to be able to afford any traditional legal practice. Um, and that's a big market. You know, we're then talking about literally the average Australian. It's the average Australian's a woman in her mid-30s. She's got about two kids. She's a professional and she earns about $80,000 a year. Um, and so, you know, you've got this market of, of typically professionals, they are mainly our clients, um, that are earning between 60 and say 120 to 150k. Um, and they need legal support. And, you know, as you mentioned just before, and something that I took from, um, don't um, grimace, um, actually, when I say this, but uh, the Barefoot Investors <laughs> book, I loved the fact that he talks about, you know, what most people view as their most important asset. 
um, is actually what he identifies as your most important asset is your job, right? Like that's, mm. that is what your most important asset is. You might think it's your house or your property portfolio or your shares or what have you, but if you cease earning a living, um, then, you know, you're in serious strife and the consequences of that on individuals is massive. You know, like there's, they are under immediate financial pressure. Um, there's knock on effects in terms of, you know, their family, their ability to care, um, their social um, well-being and so on. So I I was just aware that there was, you know, the, and the I was aware that that was going on. The report ha was handed down and confirmed that, confirmed that, you know, there's this missing middle in the market. They widely experience employment law problems but can't afford, you know, there's a, there's a number of obstacles to justice basically. And primarily they were um, the complexity, um, cost, obstacles and um, the perceived difficulties in, in accessing it around time. So just not, you know, not understanding the, you know, for example, a lot of claims only have a 21 day time limit in employment law. So, um, and they also identified that there was a role for technology to play in solving these problems. And all of a sudden I had this like, oh, moment where I was like, oh, I have this app that solves a lot of these problems. And I now have this market validated and, um, and and so I, you know, I was off on mat leave with my second baby and I was like, this is the time to do it. If I'm going to do it, let's give it a shot. And um, that's the best that's, time. The yeah. best time to start is is not the best time. So, yeah, same, yeah. Same as me. <laughs> you know, I started my business when I had three young children, all under three. And really, as you said, one of the most important things is finding product market fit and solving a real problem. And I think you're solving a huge problem for a very big market and that problem's probably getting even worse now with COVID-19 and the reason I reached out to you was there must be a lot of people out there that are anxious about if they have lost their job um, or that job security over the next six to 12 months. So in a nutshell, can you just summarize uh, for us and for the listeners, what are your rights? Can, can you be flicked off um, and stood down because of COVID-19? Or do the traditional, um, you know, the traditional laws protect you from that? How's it all work for someone like me that has no idea? Yeah. Okay. So, um, one hundred percent right about there being more need and demand than ever. The Grattan Institute handed down their report into um, the knock-on effects of COVID nineteen just this week, I believe, and um, they've identified that on their estimates and forecasts, between fourteen and twenty-six percent of Australians are going to be out of work in the coming weeks. Uh, so those that still have jobs are understandably nervous and as a consequence of that I think are making compromises around their terms and conditions of employment that they might not be comfortable with but feel potentially that they're forced to do so. Um, you've got it's interesting, all of a sudden, you know, you used to, you, you're asked these questions um, around who's your target market and they want you to paint this picture of this one individual, you know, like the the 34-year-old woman that's in this professional role. It's interesting now with um, COVID-19, it's kind of compacted everything and there's really only these like set categories of employees right now. There are essential workers that are being overworked and underpaid and are under tremendous stress 
um, at work. There are um, the people that have been stood down from their employment already and without pay, and maybe they will get JobKeeper, maybe they won't, um, depending on you know whether their employer meets the eligibility requirements and is able to reinstate them. Um, and then you've got the category of worker that has presently been retained, but is being asked to take pay cuts. I put an article up on LinkedIn last week about um, uh, an article that the AFR ran around KPMG requiring all staff earning over $60,000 to uh, opt out of a 20% pay cut, but having to uh, continue to work the same hours. Um, so how's that work? I mean, to me, that's the most interesting part because the yeah. other two are pretty straightforward. You're either working mm. as normal or, hey, things aren't working out, you know, you need mm. to see his employment. But mm. what's really surprised me is that third category that you spoke about that that um, you know we're going to reduce your hours by X percent. Mm. Do you have to opt in? Do you is it opt out? What employment rights? How does that work? Yeah, so um, it's interesting. Employment, you know, em, employment law is um, set up so that there's some basic safety net terms and conditions of employment. Okay, so that every single person that's employed by a proprietary limited company. In, um, in Australia is entitled to the basic terms and conditions that are um, drawn from the Fair Work Act, okay? Um, and then the next lot of terms and conditions, the next safety net comes from a, an award or an enterprise agreement. Now, I, I suspect that a lot of people that are tuned into this are potentially either not award or agreement covered or think they're not because they're on an annualised salary arrangement, okay? Which means, just simply put that they, they get paid an annual salary each year. And typically that's um, uh, put to them as being paid to them in compensation of all hours that they work. Okay, so okay. so you have this sort of pyramid where at the top of that, so you've got the Fair Work Act at the bottom, you've got awards and agreements in the middle, and at the top you've got your contract of employment, right? And your contract of yep. employment is the thing that says, okay, you're employed on a full-time basis, which means you typically work 38 hours a week plus reasonable additional hours and you get paid, you know, let's say it's 90K and that's inclusive of, you know, um, any overtime and additional hours that you work. So let's talk about like that category of worker, right? Like let's talk about that category of worker that was affected by, for example, an action like um, KPMG has recently taken where they're saying you need to opt out of a 20% pay cut. Like can, can they do that? I went into that yep. in some detail um, in the article, but in essence, if your terms and conditions are dictated by a contract of employment, then yep. the contract of employment can only be varied in a way that is consistent with the terms that are in there, okay? And typically okay. speaking, if you're a full-time employee, or quite frankly, even if you're a part-time employee, the contract's going to say something like, you know, you're employed for 38 hours plus reasonable additional hours, and this is what your salary is. It is unlikely that your contract is going to say that at the absolute discretion of your employer, they can yep. reduce your salary or otherwise adversely um, or negatively impact on your employment, okay? So um, they might have some discretion around their ability to ask you to perform other duties and the like, but the idea that they could unilaterally, so of their own accord, reduce your salary or reduce your hours um, is extremely unlikely. And what that means is actually they need your agreement. They need your agreement to make those changes. And this concept of just like, you know, um, kind of trucking through with this change where, you know, everyone's expected to just get on board with a 20% pay cut or whatever it is, 10%, 30%, whatever the situation might be, is that employees need to understand and have a little bit of um, 
agency in all of this to understand, well, one, if you've got a written contract of employment, your employer can't just unilaterally change it. Um, Two, I think we all have a role to play at the moment in cooperating with each other. And I've been, as an advocate of employees and employees' rights, I've been very firm about that from the very outset of all of this, right? This is not business as usual. Um, yep. This is not, you. we're not in great bargaining positions right now, right? Um, but there are certain basic terms and conditions of employment that I think need to be maintained. And I think that if an employer is genuinely experiencing economic loss and hardship, this is not, in my view, not forecasted loss, okay? If they are genuinely experiencing loss now, then I think that it is reasonable that they come to you and try to negotiate arrangements with you because, quite frankly, retaining your job right now should be right at the top of your, um, mm. uh, you know, in list of important things to do because you don't want to be in an overcrowded job market, which is what we're going to end up with in this country. So... Uh if, a, if somebody doesn't accept, sorry to cut you off, if somebody no. doesn't accept that, that mm. they think that that's not reasonable because my yeah. company made X amount of million last year, they're big, the bosses make big uh, bonuses and, you know, I, I don't want to or mm. I will not accept, mm-hmm. what are my rights? Mm-hmm. Um, do they then have the right to terminate me because the market's bad, make me redundant? Or does the fact that I said no uh, protect my rights and they can no longer use that as an excuse. Okay, so one, you are entitled to reject what you consider to be an unreasonable um, change to the terms and conditions of your employment, okay? And you you can and should negotiate them. So, for example, a lot of what I've been saying is it might be fair and reasonable for them to ask you to take a 20% pay cut, but it is also fair and reasonable for you to say, well, then I'm going to work four days a week instead of five. Okay. Okay. Um, the key thing there is that you then want to make sure that one, it's a temporary change. It only lasts yep. for as long as this is this situation lasts for and is absolutely critical. And two, that you otherwise reserve all of your rights. Okay. So all of your leave that's already accrued um, is retained at the current rates. Um, if your employment is terminated during the temporary period, then there's an agreement that, you know, all your notice and redundancy, et cetera, are still paid out at the full rate. We've got actually a um, a template letter that employers that employees can access from our website and use as a bit of a checklist um, about all of this. So that's that's the first thing. Okay, you you can do those things and exercise those rights. In doing that, you have exercised a workplace right. Okay, and that ha- contains a special protection in the Fair Work Act. What that means is that you your employer cannot then take adverse action against you because you exercised your right to make a complaint or inquiry in relation to your employment. Okay. So they can't, if you, they can't, basically what that means is they can't hold it against you. All right. If you, that's really, really important, I think, because I guess that would be the one area that people wouldn't completely understand. Right. That they don't understand it. And that's what they're most scared of. They're worried. Okay. If I don't take this, then they're going to make me redundant. Right. So let's talk about that because you, you just asked me about that, but does it, does it mean if you don't accept it, can the employer then make you redundant in order for a redundancy to be genuine, the job that you are doing um, is no longer required to be performed by anybody. Okay. The employer must have um, consulted with you if a duty to consult arises under an award or an agreement, and they must have tried to redeploy you in the the workplace or in an associated entity. Okay. So a decline in revenue isn't in and of itself evidence that your position is redundant. Okay. Um, And so if it's, it's, 
and so what I guess what I'm saying there is if you've exercised your right to say hang on a minute I'm not prepared to just take a cut without any you know commensurate reduction in my hours or at the very least ensuring it's only a temporary thing and I'm reserving all my other rights if your employer in response goes right well then we're making your position redundant, it is fair to inquire into, was this a legitimate redundancy or did they make you redundant because you exercised a workplace right? If they made you redundant because you exercised a workplace right, then you've got 21 days to commence a general protections application in the Fair Work Commission, okay, which is an application that says the employers breached the Fair Work Act by taking adverse action against me because I exercised a workplace right, all right? Okay. Um, but if your position is legitimately redundant, if an employer is in financial distress and they can yep. demonstrate that to the commission and they've done those things, they've proven that, um, you know, they no longer require your job to be done by anybody. They've tried to consult with you about it and they've tried to redeploy you. And by the way, the duty to redeploy includes looking at even more junior positions. Okay. It means okay. really they've got to put up anything that's available that you could do as an alternative to dismissal. So if they have done those things, then yes, it's a genuine redundancy and the employer then is required to to give you the, the necessary notice under your contract and any statutory or contractual entitlements to redundancy pay. I think that's a great overview and a great summary. And, and there's obviously so much more uh, that might be relevant to people. And guys, if you're listening to this, please reach out to Carly um, and get her to help you out. Take all the resources that are there on their website. Um, but, you know, invest in uh, building relationships with professionals. I spoke about that this week in a separate podcast. And I said that, you know, having great advisors on board um, is not an expense. It's actually an investment because it'll actually help you, um, you know, grow um, and give value back. So I think what you touched on is fantastic. I want to now shift the conversation a little bit before we wrap up to where do you see the future of work going? Mm -hmm. And if I was an employee, um, you know, I don't run my own business. If I was mm. somebody that's just employed by someone and I'm planning the next 20 or 30 years out, what do you think the workforce looks like and what should I be doing to protect myself going into retirement? Okay. Um, I think that what we have seen in the last, say, two decades, um, certainly since the work choices reforms, is a move away from the collective and an emphasis on the individual in the workplace. Okay, so we've seen a rapid decline in union membership. And as a consequence of that, we've seen an increase in individual claims and individuals seeking to negotiate the terms and conditions of their employment um, on, you know, of, uh, by themselves via their contract of employment, for example. Okay. We've seen, um, you know, last year was dominated really by headlines around wage theft and what, and, you know, and this year up until now has been dominated by what the, you know, the government's response to all of that is, is going to be. We've seen improvements around, um, you know, the, the awareness around sexual harassment in the workforce and then a consequential change in the case law that's coming out around um, the, vol uh, the quantity of damages that's being awarded. So in my view overall, we've seen a highlight on the negatives um, in the and the disparities in the employment relationship and a move by the courts and by government to try to improve terms and conditions of employment. What I'm most concerned about going into the future is that if the, you know, the report coming out of the Grattan Institute and, and others, you know, there's plenty of forecasting out there around how bad this is going to get in terms of unemployment. I think that the reality is we are going to have to see 
to 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 for individuals to be um, empowered to improve the terms and conditions of their employment, we are going to have to see a swing back from in the individual bargaining to collective bargaining. Okay, um, and so I think that that's going to be the case because we're going to, in the very short term, we are going to see a rapid increase in unemployment and then the flow on impacts of that are obviously going to be that you're going to have a very overcrowded um, employment market and that makes it really difficult to negotiate as an individual. Okay, because um, simply put, let's be honest, if it's just taken you three to six months to get a job offer, Okay, and yeah. you know you're in there with however many other hundred, maybe thousands of applicants, you're hardly likely to negotiate particularly hard around either your salary or other terms and conditions of employment. You know, something I'm super passionate about is getting all employees to have their contract of employment reviewed and so that they actually understand the terms and conditions before they sign them, right? Um, I think that it, that's, you know, I'm being realistic about the fact that employees are not going to be that inclined to do that because they're likely to kind of accept what whatever's being put to them. So I think if we're going to see people try to protect themselves and we're going to, you know, look at, well, what's the future of work going to look like now? It's going to look remote, okay? There's going to be a lot of, you know, Optus has already announced, for example, that all of its call centre staff that have moved to work from home arrangements will be staying on those arrangements into the future. So I think we already knew that, the future of work looked remote, it looked dispersed, it looked um, it looked like a lot of gig work, it looked like a lot of casual work, it looked like um, a, um, a lot of task-based work, okay, so project-based work or task-based work. All of that makes negotiating and improving terms and conditions of employment really difficult because you've now got this dispersed workforce um, that are not necessarily educated on their work rights and um, you know I'm very um, passionate about the fact that I think school kids need to be being educated on their rights at work because that's where it starts you know that's where you get your first job um, you know working at doesn't matter whether it's Macca's in my case it was the video shop no longer exists anymore obviously um, but you the trouble is that when you move into the future of work and that's what it looks like it's it's a, there's a high rate of unemployment it's an overcrowded job market um, and it's dispersed work it makes it very difficult to negotiate terms and conditions of employment here's what you need to do to try to protect yourself and this is what I think the future of work needs to start looking like it needs to start looking like a return to the collective that does not necessarily mean union membership although if you're eligible to be a member of the union there's probably never been a better time to be one um, certainly we're looking at um, where well, we are launching an app in the next couple of months that's all about sort of just educating people on their rights at work and collecting data so that workers are more um, organised in both understanding their rights at work and their connection with others in the workplace, even if that is in a dispersed way. Um, but you need to read your contract of employment understand what it means and even if that means being prepared to accept terms that you're not necessarily happy with at the outside at the outset understand that so you can plan for your future and plan around mm. them understand how secure or insecure your employment is and make um, follow-up decisions as a consequence of that around insurances around salary continuance arrangements and the like around your personal um, expenses and what you can afford or can't afford to do understand exactly. your terms and conditions of your contract understand if an award or an agreement applies to your employment and what the terms and conditions are 
of those of, of that instrument. Okay, and you can do if you're a member of a union, they'll talk to you about that. You can contact the Fair Work Ombudsman to find out about that, or of course, a re resolution one two three can assist with that determination. Record everything about your work. Okay, and this is something that our new app is going to do, but record your hours of work. Um, that's going to be really important, especially if you move on to an hourly type arrangement that you're being properly compensated and that you have evidence of the hours that you are working. So many times we have people coming to us talking about having worked excessive overtime or on the weekends and wanting to make a claim back for it, but not having, having any evidence that they did perform those hours. Okay, so keep a record, keep a record of the hours that you're working, keep a record of any incidences that occur in the workplace, be informed about what your rights are because once you are informed about your rights, you are then more capable of, capable of becoming organised, which means talking to colleagues and talking to other people in the workplace about what's going on for you and what is going on for them. And what I think that then means is the best way to improve terms and conditions of employment moving into the future is a re-emphasis on collective bargaining and enterprise bargaining. And it is um, a misnomer to think that that is only the space of the traditional you know, um, blue collar union workforce. That is not true. Okay. That's, In fact, awesome. professionals can organise and get together and negotiate collectively and utilise the enterprise bargaining provisions in the Fair Work Act. And that's where I think that we're headed. And, you know, we're interested in building technology around that to help facilitate that. And, um, you know, that's partly what Resolution 123 can, you know, can do to assist people into the future. Yeah, that's an awesome summary. So, look, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, there's just so much there. And, and I think you hit on an important point, which is really thinking about the future, looking at diversifying uh, the vulnerabilities. And, um, you know, another point that you touched on, as, as, as individuals, we can, we can work collectively without necessarily being part of a union, but there's nothing stopping us from networking, um, you know, joining mastermind groups, um, and just educating ourselves, making ourselves less vulnerable and just thinking about the things that maybe we took for granted a few years ago, um, but that might not be there, uh, at least in the short term. Kali, thank you so much for giving us your time. How can people reach you um, and how can they connect with you if they do have an employment problem? So, um, best way at the moment is just jump on the website, resolution123.com.au. We've got a new chatbot up, actually. So, if you've affected awesome. by COVID-19 in any way, then lots of information there and lots of templates and checklists and things. We've got a new um, COVID-19 express consult, too, so you can get book in for 20 minutes and get some quick advice. So, via the website, it's great. We're on Facebook at resolution123au, and you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll put the links in the show notes for people to reach out to you. Uh, looking forward, we've got to do this again. Uh, I'm sure we'll do this again in a few months where the market isn't perhaps as bad. We'll be looking forward and talking about the future and the recovery. And you'll no doubt have some pointers and ideas for our audience. Yeah, great. Look forward to it. Thanks, Peter. Thank you.